morning we're continuing our sermon series on an altar in the world. And this morning we're going to be talking about the practice of carrying water. Throughout this sermon series, one of my goals is that we would be a people that sees God amidst our everyday lives. See, because right now we're at home and unable to be in person and worship. And so I thought now more than ever, we ought to find Christ, find God our creator in all things that we do. And if you remember, one of the things that I've been telling us and reminding us is the story from Proverbs, right? With Lady Wisdom speaking over the rooftops and calling out to us that we might hear her voice that we might hear the voice of God amidst our hustle and bustle everyday activities. Because I know that many of us are doing different things and in unique circumstances. Some of us have more time on our hands than we expected, whether it's because we've been spending some time in quarantine or whether it's that we're also uh, being uh, at home and and not going out as much as we normally do. But then others of us are busier than we ever imagined. Our workloads at work are are doubled because we're doing all sorts of different things because we're online as well as trying to go to meetings and do different things. And some of us are just drained from the Zoom digital times. I I had a conference call with uh, Hudson's teacher, and one of the things that he said is that his goal is for when they're done with their class is to shut the screen and to go out and see the world, not just the computer screen. And I think that in some ways, COVID-19 has given us this opportunity as a church to find our faith outside of Sunday mornings and to refine it. And sure, we are uh, really looking forward to the time when we're able to be back in person, but we acknowledge that when we are able in the near future, it's going to look different. I remember growing up in Minnesota. Uh, I grew up in a small town in Minnesota, and my uh, grandparents had a cabin up at a lake, a uh, big sand lake. And, and, it, and in Minnesota, it was like, you know, we go to the beach or do other things, but Minnesota, you go to the lake. My small little town didn't have a lake. Well, had Lake Comire, but you ne- didn't want to go swimming because it was run off from the golf course, and it was just, yeah, toxic. So you didn't want to go there, but when we go up to uh, the cabin at the lake, and the cabin was just so fun. I would hang out with my cousins and my brother and my grandparents, and we would do everything from um, to go out on like the inner tubes, to go pontoon riding and fishing, and go to the sandbar. We would even, I remember, we would even get a dollar for every red squirrel we would catch, or we would be a kill, I should say, with our little, uh, you know, BB guns and things that we would do. So there was hunting, there was adventure, there was so many things to do up at the cabin until I got to this age. You know that age when all of a sudden your extra like curricular activities start to change a little bit? And by that I mean all of a sudden the adults in your life start expecting something from you? Because before it was like, here Brian, here JJ, get a, uh, JJ's my cousin, get a basket and go pick the raspberries. Sure, that sounds awesome. That's the work I had myself to. But then it became, get up on the roof and clean out the gutters. Or, hey, it's the fall time, so we need to, to move the dock in because if it freezes while it's in the water, well, then it's going to ruin the dock. And so we have to get in the water when it's freezing cold and you know, get everything ready. And it was work. I grew up my whole life going to the cabin almost every weekend in the summer and spending time there throughout the winter months. 
but I didn't realize the amount of work that went into making that place, well, the place I grew up loving and knowing. And it didn't take long for me to start dreading those cabin trips because the lists would start with raspberries and then raking the leaves and then mowing the lawn and then all of the other things that the grandparents and the parents thought the now children could do themselves. And so I did not want to go to this place I love because it required so much work. Fast forward it to now And now all of a sudden, the tables have turned, right? And so now all of a sudden, my children are just getting to the age where I'm starting to create a chore chart. And so we we used to do, over the past year and a half, uh, we do what's called Daddy's Day Off Surprise. And so I take my kids somewhere out to eat um, on Saturday morning so Ashley, my wife, can sleep in and, or do whatever she needs to do and just kind of get a moment. And my kids just, they love it. They would get donuts or go to Big City Diner or, you know, we adventure over to Lily High Bakery over uh, in Townside. We do all sorts of things. But, um, but all of a sudden, it changed a little bit from be, being just this treat that was given to them to saying it's a respon- you have to have responsibilities and earn it because we value the importance of doing work around the house. And one of the mantras, I swear, we're like, we're not your servants, right? You're part of this family, and to be part of this family takes work. And it's this shift that you learn as a child and all of a sudden you start getting responsibilities and, you know, they kind of grow. And and hopefully, as an adult, the work doesn't necessarily seem like a chore to you, but a part of your life that we come to appreciate. Because we all have work to do to keep our households in order, to, to keep our lawns looking the way that we want them. We have work to do at our jobs that we're doing. Everyone has work. But do we recognize God within it? I think this second story of creation is so uh, beautiful. I, I really love the imagery. But uh, within the Hebrew, God makes ha-adam, which is uh, basically the best translation is earthling. So God makes this earthling out of the dust, and then God makes a garden. And then within that garden, God uh, breathes into life. So the the nephesh, the breath of God, goes into ha-adam and gives it movement. And we become human, it says. God makes this earthling and breathes into it. I, I kind of get this like claymation video, you know, like makes the clay and starts moving it. And then all of a sudden it becomes a movie, living, moving claymation. We are earthlings at movement. But that movement is placed within the garden in this second story. And that God's commandment or the reason we're placed in that garden at the end of it is that Ha-Adam, that earthling, would till it. You know, I always saw like the children's books and even the ones on my kids' shelves as the Garden of Eden, the place where Adam and Eve are lounging around eating something other than the apples at first, right? But they're just lounging around and just having a fun, and the animals are smiling or talking, all these things, right? It's just like this tropical paradise that you don't have to do anything. You just lounge around like the best resort you could ever imagine in your life. Never would God want us to do work there, right? It wasn't until after we ate from the tree of knowledge that we had to then eat 
or go off and work. But that's not the second story of creation. In the second story of creation, our purpose, earthlings, were set to till and keep the earth. Within God's intention for humanity, according to our narrative of creation, is the reality that we're at movement, we're animated to work, to till the garden, to keep the earth that we found found ourselves upon. And there's that shift, right? There's the shift that we all of a sudden acknowledge that this joy of life comes with tasks. Christmas is not Christmas without the work that's prepared into it as far as the season of it, right? That feeling. Halloween that we just celebrated last night takes a lot more work than I remembered growing up until I had to pick out and find my own costume and prepare everything and it takes a lot more work to make the, the yard magically become this like Halloween forest, right? The neighbors that everyone wants to go because they give out the big candy bars and they have all the inflatables takes work. The joy that we experience in life, everything involves tasks. This morning, I, I talked about how we're going to be doing communion around the table to celebrate All Saints Day. And because it was a little bit spur of the moment, I went and stopped at uh, the farmer's market and I grabbed uh, this loaf of sourdough bread. And I was really happy because I make sourdough bread and, uh, and the Roscoe that uses this bread or that makes this bread, they use the same recipe that I do when I uh, make a starter from that. They have variations to make it. And I know that there's so much that goes in. I mean, you fold it an entire morning over the course of four hours. And not only that, but you have to care about the quality of the, of the wheat that goes in because any variation can change your entire way of baking the bread because it absorbs the water differently. The salt that you use is important. Every aspect comes from somewhere, and for us to gather around the sacred table and eat the bread and drink from the cup takes work leading up to it. But do we consider that work to be sacred? I know oftentimes we overlook the value that goes into the preparation, the before. This Sunday, we're celebrating All Saints Sunday. Here, uh, Sunday morning, in our worship, we're going to remember the lives of those that have gone before us. But the tradition of All Saints Sunday is the tradition of the church that canonizes people of particular character and quality, sacredness in their lives. Holy people, saints that you know we celebrate, like St. Valentine, St. Patrick, St. Nicholas. But there's so many more saints within the, the Roman Catholic Church. And some of the ones that you know is St. Damien here in Hawaii. There's St. Mother Teresa. St. Francis. There's so many that are there. And I, I promise you this, is that most of those people that are deemed saints within the church... It's not their magical waving of their their hands to perform a miracle that makes them a saint. It's the work 
they set them to. St. Damien and Kalpapa did not just magically heal people, although according to the Roman Catholic Church, you have to have three documented miracles and they have to be of certain merit. He put himself in harm's way and eventually got leprosy himself in service to the people on that peninsula. Mother Teresa was not just up in some like high lofty castle performing miracles. She was in the streets of India serving the orphans. She did work. You and I are called to work. And they don't have to be these like big sainthood type things. We can find God in our everyday tasks. In the work that it takes to keep the clothes that we wear clean. In the work that it takes to do the dishes. God is speaking over the rooftops of our lives in the very minuscule activities of our daily lives. But do we engage in it? One of my favorite saints was St. Benedictine. St. Benedict, I should say, who started the Benedictine Order. It was, uh, it's our longest standing Roman Catholic uh, monastic order started in about the 5th century, 6th century time frame. And St. Benedict had a phrase, prayer at work, was his phrase. That he believed the best time of prayer in our lives of faith was as we are putting ourselves to work. And so there's this movie, I, I don't remember exactly the name, I think it's called Into Great Silence, that tracks this French Benedictine monastery, and it is completely silent because this particular Benedictine monastery had no talking whatsoever, ever, outside of the proclamation of the Psalms during their vespers throughout the day. That it was complete silence, and the, the film crew that was led into this space has them, you know, working in the garden, working in the kitchen, sorting the music on the shelves. And Benedict believed that those things, those activities we put ourselves to, can be our best moments of finding God in prayer. I've lived in a number of different houses And one of the things I do in those houses is I paint the rooms. Because I find myself uh, moving within, uh, I've moved to, I think it's my third parsonage, and each of the parsonages, the the painting is kind of there, but of course with the transition between one pastor to another, they're not able to get everything done. And so, you know, I find myself painting, and then the trustees or someone at the church that finds out that I was painting a room says, oh gosh, I'm so sorry we didn't do that. And I say to them, don't worry, I love to paint. In fact, it's my time when I pray over the church. I pray during those times. I find my best moments of prayer and reflection as I'm painting walls. The up and the down, and then the tedious cutting, right? I remember I I walked into uh, Kilohana United Methodist Church, which is where I was a pastor first in Hawaii, over in Niu Valley. 
and the altar area was just a storage zone, one. And then two, I don't know that the cleaners had been in there in a long time, or at least it felt like it because that open air, so that dust everywhere, right? And so if I'm the beginning of my ministry there, pledging the altar table and cleaning it off, and then after the altar table, I move to the communion rails, and sure, I could have asked the cleaner to pay a little bit more attention to the chancel. I could have asked the volunteer to do that. But as I did that work, I prayed over those that would be in the sanctuary. When we renovated our chancel area, we sanded and refinished and moved the cross. I decided that I wanted to be a part of that. Not because I had to, not because we couldn't have found someone else to do it, but because I knew that people, as they gather in the sanctuary, will be gazing upon the cross as a way to experience God's grace. And I wanted to put my prayers on the cross as I put that urethane coat over it and saw the beauty of the natural wood that's been there for, almost, for over 60 years. The work we put ourselves to, the day-to-day tasks, are opportunities to, find, to connect to God. Are you seizing those? Do you view them as that, or do you just view them as tasks that have to be accomplished, that list that grandma gave you that you're dredging to do? Could become different ways that you can experience the holy. Because truth be told, there's those sacred moments that we think of, like the communion table, those special holidays. None of those happen without the work that leading the way. I know I've used this image before, but it's just my favorite image out of any church that I've ever been into is the Cathedral of Our Lady of the Angel in Los Angeles, California. And in that cathedral, they have uh, the communion or Eucharistic table, as they say in the Roman Catholic Church. And then lining the hall of the sanctuary is tapestry up along the hall. And on all of the tapestry are images of saints, like, you know, the ones I mentioned, St. Francis, St. Benedict, St. Patrick, all of those people, and they have their names there. But then they also have children and adults and kapuna, regular everyday people, and they're lined up facing the table, not facing the sanctuary that they're all lined up on the tapestry facing this communion table because they are with us as we gather around it. That we are in the communion of all of the saints, gathering together around the holy table. And we're reminded of the work that brings us there. One of the candles will light Natalie Oda, another John Leary, pillars of our church. They didn't just make it there because they gave a ton of money or did this fancy thing, 
both of which were servants, served on committees way longer than they probably should have. And everyone knows that even up to the day that Natalie died, that she was putting her work and her life's energy into working for other people, doing things for them. Even in tedious tasks like making tiny little crafts to sell to then give to outreach. Her sacred work. What's your sacred work? How do you find God in those everyday tasks?